the Right Reverend Brother Randy. Well, that's one of the joys of getting older. You see, you've been around so long that these things all come around and are finally uh, in, a, in a new place. And, uh, and it has been a great joy for Gretchen and I to be a part of the life of uh, the Hudson congregation almost from the beginning uh, when you uh, took the brave stand of, uh, of leaving the Episcopal Church. And we met in two or three of these different places. I remember a rental place over here in, the, in town and then at the church down here and so on and getting set until finally um, you were in place and, and the doc was called as rector and then um, I remember Thad coming for the uh, installation, Bishop Thad, and lots of other good landmarks along the way. And as my brother Joe says, we are very much uh, wanting this area, uh, the Anglican Diocese of the Great Lakes and the Hona Group overlapping those two, to be a kind of model of how um, the last major piece of the new province of North America comes together. And I think that's happened. Uh, the way in which um, Pete and uh, Alan and Joe have worked and brought uh, the group of parishes which extends over these three states that are the primary diocese of the Great Lakes, but also into Kentucky, New York, and even Canada a little bit. Um, has been able to mesh their lives and come together on our dock. As, in fact, this next week we'll be having a retreat, our first retreat as a diocese with everybody involved, both sides, and um, we'll be having a service on Thursday night, I think it is, to uh, honor Doc and also honor the new entity. And so Doc will be at the uh, retreat of the Anglican Diocese of the Great Lakes, Next week, at least he'll be there for the evening service in which we'll have a closure to these things and an honoring of, um, of um, Doc's role and a recognition that a new season is upon us, all put together. I think that will be really good. I know Archbishop Bob has been, Duncan from has been very excited about the way these things in this area have come together, thanks to the good hearts of the leaders, the clergy, and uh, Bishop uh, Loomis. And, um, and as I say, the, the, Province is now in a significant place of growth again. There is uh, uh, both new churches being planted, the amalgamation of groups, and uh, uh, just uh, a number of kinds of things that uh, are part of this life. Now, we're also in an interesting season because, of course, there is a change. As you probably know, the Archbishop of Canterbury resigned earlier this year or retired, and uh, so... As of the first of the year, there will be a new Archbishop of Canterbury. And while that's not directly um, effective of us right away, it certainly will set a tone in the Anglican communion worldwide, will have eventually some impact on us, and could could issue in finally the full recognition uh, of the of the new church in the US, the Anglican Anglican Church North America, Canada and the U.S., ACMA, Anglican Church uh, North America. Don't you hate acronyms after a while? Um, anyway, so that could be a possibility. Whether that happens or not, the, pro the, the primates, the, the archbishops, of which there's about 38, um, will, uh, uh, we very much believe, within the next few years, on a slightly different route, agree, vote, the majority of them to recognize 
uh, us, you all, and the province of North America. But if the archbishop does it that route, uh, it would be uh, more standard. And and there are two very good candidates, <laughs> although I have to say, having said all of that background, following up on your history, Father, I think there is a gospel we'll speak to in just a, a moment. Uh, the, uh, I did see that they, that they the, the insiders said that they're deadlocked. They can't. Two, two days ago they went to the uh, archbishop and said, we don't have names to submit to the queen. That's what happens. There's supposed to be two names. They're submitted to the queen with a first choice, second choice. The queen picks. Her usual expectation there is, is that she would pick who they've picked, but she could not. And that has to go back through the prime. Anyway, that's the problem of an established church. We don't have that here in the U.S., but in England, there's a lot of mesh between those two. Anyway, they're going to have to do something else because they reported to him they couldn't pick any names to send to the queen, which seems to be a condition of the Episcopal Church today and the Anglican community in some parts of the world. Now, not where we all come from, from Rwanda and Nigeria, Uganda, Kenya, the far... East, Singapore, their friends, the Anglican Church, is alive and well and growing and converting people day by day, filling them with the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are alive and well. The people are giving their lives to confront the power of Islam in many ways. I mean, martyrs today, as we sit here, there will be people who will die while we're in church today in parts of Africa where Boko Haram will burn the churches or kill the people, and whatever. That happens all the time. And uh, in both our two particular areas, uh, Rwanda for Amia and Cana, where I was consecrated. I mean, yeah, Cana, where I was consecrated. That's Nigeria. So these are really unusual times. But the church continues to grow because, friends, the church grows on the blood of the martyrs and will not be, God will not be frustrated. So anyway, it's great to be here. And it is great to see old friends from various places over lots of years. Um, and uh, some of them have grown older. I myself feel just... <laughs> All right, Mel, I know, I know you. Well, um, the other great thing about it is you picked such a friendly text for me to work with this morning. Yeah. What a great text. Rip out your eye, throw away your hand, your foot, uh, for the bishop to teach on for the first time is really an exciting kind of thing. Um, I can't either. I hope something comes. Um, well, the, the, starting with the numbers passage, uh, because that's part of the background for uh, the gospel in, uh, in Mark. But in numbers, we have this uh, very familiar passage about Eldad and Medad and the uh, complaints that Moses had about his friends. He, uh, we all love Moses because he set the pattern for pastoring. He complained about his people a lot. And uh, Oh, well, not for you, of course. No, not for you. But for the rest of us, complained about the people and uh, all of their asking for something better than manna. They got tired of manna and they wanted uh, fish and uh, meat and, uh, uh, and cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions. I wouldn't want to have been around them real up close, but um, they all wanted something different. And so he gets very uh, upset about that, their rebellion, really, not about the food, but about the ungratefulness and the rebellion and many other things that they were asking 
uh, for. And so he goes to God and he says, how could you do this? How could you give me a congregation like this? How could you give me these kind of people? I can't carry all their burdens. I can't fulfill all their needs, their expectations. Something has to happen because I can't take care of all this by myself. In fact, he goes so far as to say, in fact, I am so discouraged, I'd just like to go out and die. Which is a pretty downer thing for a pastor to be that upset. But... Uh, but God hears his heart. I mean, Moses is being honored, honest. Obviously, there's a, a, a probably a metaphorical uh, element about what he's talking about. But anyway, God does hear his heart about carrying the burdens, being concerned about his people, not being able to do anything on his own about it. Because, of course, he's not in charge of the manna. And so God says, well, look, I'll, I'll fix it up. I will give you some extra people to carry the burden, pray for the people, prophesy over them, encourage them particularly, it would appear, prophetic encouragement, words. And and, um, and then, and at least for a time, they'll have this. Uh, and, and interesting that they that the Old Testament has this line, which would become, become important later on in the sense that this is a giving of the Spirit, but it's a short-term, if you can say that, short-term giving of the Spirit that way. It's for a particular job. When will the Spirit come and stay? I think I heard it. Thank you. Okay. Good training up here on the altar. Yeah. That's right. Pentecost. You're all aware of that, actually. The Spirit comes at Pentecost, and it comes, and it rests, and it stays, and it, it, it births the church. And it's a part now of the life of every, uh, every believer, and, and particularly if one is asked for it to be released in, in fullness. So, but here, it's for a specific purpose for a specific time. And then it says it did no more. So... <clears throat> Uh, the piece where it directly connects to Mark is in this last paragraph. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of prophecy, words of the Lord, direction, encouragement, vision, and, uh, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to them and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men who had remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, uh, and the spirit, I'm sorry, and the other one, yeah. And the spirit rested on them, and they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and the assistant of Moses, from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Of course, that in itself is a very prophetic statement because that's exactly what happens. His desire, his heart, his prayer is exactly what happens when uh, uh, when Pentecost comes, when the Lord's uh, death, resurrection, ascension, and back comes the spirit of that happens. But it's also um, uh, indicative sometimes of how we in the church or religious folks guard our stuff, so to speak, and are not happy when somebody else is doing the work of the Lord if it isn't in our particular way, our particular setting. Well, that becomes clear when you move over to, uh, to Mark. And uh, so let me just go back where there's just a moment, since we've talked about a number of other things first. You've got it in your bulletin. 
John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons. Now, it's almost exact parallel to, We heard somebody prophesying. Lord, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. That's almost exact parallels, I say, to the, the part in... Uh, in numbers where they say, hey, there's people out there prophesying who weren't inside the tent, who didn't get officially the right to do uh, the prophecy. They weren't in the right place at the right time under the right authority. And they, they aren't one of us doing the prophesying. And here they aren't one of us doing the casting out. And we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a deed in power uh, in my name will soon be able not to will soon afterward to speak evil of me. This is an interesting piece. If you're involved with the Holy Spirit and you're doing the work of the Lord, you're going to be drawn, according to Scripture here, you're going to be drawn more fully into the life of the Lord. You're going to be drawn into the community in some way and then into the life of the Lord. And you can't keep doing good things in the power of the Holy Spirit and not have some internal something happening inside. If you do good stuff... Jesus stuff in the power of the Spirit and are involved in that, you're going to get drawn closer to God, to the Lord. More of, of who he is is going to become until presumably a full conversion, a, a release of the Spirit, and other things will happen, Jesus says. Whoever is not against us is for us. And truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. Now that, I'm going to read on through this, but it doesn't follow real closely it's a collection of sayings, all Jesus' sayings, clearly. collection of sayings that Marcus put together, which have a sort of theme for him, but probably wasn't spoken one after another quite in this way. They're all pieces of Jesus' teaching, and he's collecting them for us. But it jumps around and, 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 and becomes a little disconcerting to us because there's so many pieces of it that are... Um, well, strong, it's a, his theme is discipleship, and he's telling you disciples don't act this way. Well, let's see what ways you don't act. You, if, if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better to enter life mean than have two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm never dies and the fire never quenches. Oh, that's a pretty strong word about discipleship, isn't it? I Well, at least it is to me. A very strong word about discipleship. But the key here is not... Um... <laughs> is it all right to come down here? Thanks. <laughs> After a while, I get feeling a little uh, closed in. And uh, also, I noticed that for some reason, the lecture is way down here. I don't know what happened. My eyes are Uh, this will be uh, a great and glorious time, I think, in a new season together. I'll come back where we started. I think we are in a major season of change locally, in the area, and really uh, nationally. But there's even stuff on the international page, as I say, in terms of the, the uh, Archbishop thing. And perhaps more than that, the Old West, Europe, 
England and even the U.S., which has tended to get lost in racialism ever since the Enlightenment and, and uh, uh, the Renaissance and so on, and who now thinks only with its head. I mean, the church is such a head trip, has so little of the spirit in it and so little power. But that's not true in almost all the rest of the world. The rest of the world, the church, and some of you may have visited. Did, did, you think many of your people have been to Rwanda? Or been, they have been around. Uh, there's no question this group has been around. I do see that. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that you will see a, a different, you'll see this life more clearly portrayed in most of the other parts of our globe. The worldview, the reliance on the spirit, the power, uh, the things happening, people laying down their lives for God even. Uh, there is a great sweep across the globe, which sometimes in the West, because of our culture, we don't, we don't immediately grasp or see. But it's coming. It's coming, friends. It really is. Well, Lord, whatever is you, I ask you to seal into our hearts. Whatever is not of you, uh, I ask you to wipe away. Just take off of it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.